Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, the Old South with its rich tradition and landed gentry, like the faded smell of honeysuckle on a warm Georgia evening, those days are gone with the wind. But our question is, have they gone far enough away? Or do we need that wind to blow a little harder? We look at some of the fables of the Reconstruction with historian, retired general, and author of Robert E. Lee and me, Ty Sidgley. And now that a record-holding, multi-talented basketball whiz has won the Scripps National Spelling Bee, can we or our listeners ever hope to measure up to her? Spoiler alert, no! But we'll be sharing our tales of youthful successes and failures anyway on True Confessions, Childhood Edition. I'm Adam Felber, this podcast Lincoln, desperately trying to preserve the union of rational thought and organized discourse in these troubled times. And now, please welcome the woman who has devoted her life to defending her right to make no sense at all. It's Paula Poundstone. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, Paula. Welcome. Uh, thanks very much. So nice to be with you all. And more importantly, thanks to tonight's house band, Nathan Surratt from Los Angeles, California, on the trumpet. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Nathan. We're very, we're very uh, happy to have you aboard. Paula Poundstone, I'm going to ask you a new kind of question today. What's new? Oh, boy. I'll tell you, I expanded my worm empire uh, over the weekend. I, um, I harvested my worm poop or worm castings, so it's called in polite circles, uh, on Saturday and Sunday, I, I had looked at some videos, you know, and I, it, I looked at more than one, but it was basically the same idea. And uh, <laughs> say it was uh, Worm Farmer Joe, right? Okay, yep. So Worm Farmer Joe was standing there in a clean blue T-shirt, and he says, you know, thanks for watching my YouTube video, and he says, today we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to show you how to harvest, uh, you know, your worm castings, and and uh, you know, Joe opens up his bin and shows the bin, and he shows the tools he's going to use, a scooper and another bin and maybe another bin or something like that there, 
And then, you know, there's the subtlest of edits in there a couple times. Okay. Uh, Because what he says is, he goes like, you know, here's the one now, and now you begin. And then there's this kind of subtle edit, and he goes, okay, well, that's 40 pounds of worm castings. I'm happy with that. And that's how you do it. (laughs) And uh, He pulled a Julia Child on you. He actually said that it should take about six hours. And I had seen that before, that it would take about six hours. So I'm like, all right. And most of it is waiting. Because what you do is you want the worms to go down in the in the mixture, in their bin, as far as they'll go. So that when you scoop, you're not having to separate out worms, right, as you put them on the sifter. Uh, so it's faster if you don't have to separate out the worms. And gotcha. obviously you don't want to lose any of the worms. So, you know, I get my stuff all ready and I'm out there. What a worm farmer Joe doesn't show you is the part where you've, you're leaning over the bin for hours and your back hurts and you're covered in worm poop and you're sweating your balls off. And when you go to walk, your, your feet don't really work anymore because you've been sitting on them. Worm farmer Joe... It's a little dishonest, let's just say. By the end yeah. of the whole thing, I'm like, fuck you, Worm Farmer Joe. <laughs> I can't do this. Do you think Worm Farmer Joe it. maybe showered, secretly showered in between those takes? Oh, no question. No no question. Yeah, Worm Farmer Joe is a fraud. He's a fraud. So it took <laughs> me two days. Um, but yeah, you know, there they were. A lot of worm babies. So that shows I've been playing the right music. Uh, they're, they're, I got happy worms, and that was good. But, uh, oh, my gosh. That sounds like a ton of work. It was, a, it was a tremendous amount of sweaty, hot work. And you know what? I kind of enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy the part where literally my feet kept just not working when I would go to walk, um, just from sitting for so long in the same position, which, you know, and also because, uh, you know, I was using the little uh, tractor, the little worm farm tractor. What? And, uh, oh, my gosh, did my butt hurt by the end of the whole thing because it's very— It's very small. Of, very small. takes a lot of balance, and yeah. there's just too much pressure. So, um, yeah, I'm not proud of this, but I did brand my worms because I don't want them to get away uh, and be, you know, found on another farm. <laughs> So, so, so you branded them with the sign of the double P? Yeah. I didn't burn them or anything. I just used a little uh, marker, a little. That must uh, have that taken been forever. S- yeah, that could have been some of what took a long time. Yeah. yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Some of them I wrote more than just my initials. What did you write? You know, just a description of the worm. If found, please return to that kind of thing. And that can be, yeah. This is Jerry, a very hungry but not particularly productive worm. Yeah. This yeah. is this is one of my slacker worms. <laughs> Go ahead, take them. Take them uh, if you need them. No, worm, I was out there in nature. Oh, I know the other thing that worm farmer Joe didn't have, which is my dog Mo dropping her tennis ball in the in the worm castings mm. every few minutes. Oh, yeah. that can't be good for worms. No, no, it was certainly not good for me. I can't tell you how many times I said, "Get that fucking ball out of here." Yeah. I, I've met Mo. I don't think Mo speaks that kind of language. No, you you know, no. Yeah, she's very she, bally. Uh, yeah, she is the queen of tennis balls. Uh, speaking of tennis balls, I have not been able to get uh, Martina Naratilova to uh, tweet me back recently. And, oh, uh, 
We'll yeah, reach her. I'm disappointed. I was really thinking that she, I, I tweeted that, you know, I was ready for the match and that she, I would give her my miles to fly out here on. Nothing, huh? Not a word, not a peep. Well, so, I could maybe uh, play on my relationship with her and reach out on your behalf because we've never really corresponded, but she did click like on something I wrote once. Oh, that's close enough. Yeah. Uh, she's your best friend. I think she's scared. I'll just say it. I think she's scared. It might be. Yeah. You know, because your, your skills are honed on a ping pong table. Yeah. She's not going to have the same advantage that she might have had. Yeah. And and I'm in pretty good shape right now. I, I, I know. You're, you, you're ripped. Hey, um, speaking of being ripped and being ripped on and being sweaty, uh, can I tell you a quick story, Paula? Oh, please. Do you remember... Our, this is a long time ago, so you've probably forgotten what it was and how it turned out. But we had a little bet about uh, the song Who Will Buy from Oliver. Oh, the Oliver bet, where you owe me a thousand worms? Yeah, Something I remember. Like, oh, you do remember. So, like, we. I can barely I, fit my. I told you so in my closet that I'm waiting to give you. Yeah. Yeah, the bet was you <laughs> bet that there were at least a few of our listeners out there who played Oliver in school. And who played the role of Oliver and would send us in a snippet of them singing Who Will Buy. Yeah. And you bet eventually that there were at least two listeners who were going to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I said we wouldn't have two. And in fact, we had, um, you know, why get particular, but we had more than two. Was it eight? Is that how many we had or was it? I think it was ten. It was ten. Thank you, Bonnie Burns. Oh, boy. No problem. (laughs) I lost that bet by a lot. In any case. I could have won a million (laughs) dollars. If she hadn't changed what the bet was. Yes, yeah. that's right. I did offer to bet a million dollars. Kind of glad I didn't at this point. Um, so I'm hanging out. We had a, a friend over to our house the other day, uh, a guy that my my wife and her sister had not seen in 35 years, but who'd grown up with my wife's sister uh, in Shawnee, Oklahoma, uh, back in the 70s. And they started talking about all the theatrical productions that they used to do, usually directed by Jeannie's mom. And somebody mentioned Oliver, and I said, that's really funny. And I told the whole story of our bet. And The whole story? Did you tell them how badly you lost? I have not seen <laughs> anybody lose anything that badly. Yeah, yeah. And- it was, I don't think we have to dwell on it. But yeah, I, I, I accurately reported that I might not have actually won that bet, that there might have been 10 people. And, and Rob, this guy from Oklahoma who now lives in New York City, works for the Ford Foundation, said, make that 11. I played Oliver in school. And I could sing who, who Will Buy. Wow. Wow. And I quickly, thinking on my feet, told him, well, if he hasn't heard our podcast yet, he doesn't count. Uh, what's his name again? <laughs> his name is Rob. You'll never find him. But he is oh. threatening to listen to our podcast and then yeah. send in Rob, little... I hope you listen to this episode. <laughs> oh, it just gets would worse it, for it... me. Would it be impossible to press the bet further now? Would it be impossible to go back to the million dollars? <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I would. I don't think I would uh, take that bet for a million dollars now. That would. Be I a hope Mar- Martina Naratilova. I hope she doesn't find out that I backed off on the million dollars and went down to a pound of worms. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a little embarrassing. But you know, I'll tell you something. What am I going to do with the million dollars that I can't do with a pound of worms? That's what I want to know. I'm going to turn that pound of worms into a million dollars. That's right. That's right. Uh, Because of the loam, the soil you'll be producing, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I put some, by the way, on on like a, you know, plant outside. The plant practically danced. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is powerful stuff. 
I'm sure there are giant sunflowers right now growing on Moe's tennis ball. Uh, Adam, 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 uh, answer the phone. <laughs> Adam, answer the phone. I, I feel like this is going to go poorly for me, as it always does. No, um, it's not. It's answer the, the phone's ringing. Uh, hello? Hey, Adam, I made another influencer recording. It's me, Hi, Mike. Mike, Mike Boom Boom Blanca. Uh, here it is. Hey, man, it's me, influencer Mike Boom Boom Potifit. If you want to be like me, and most guys do, I mean, chicks don't want to be like me. They want to be with me. Know what I mean? They anyway, don't. if you want to be like me, I wear a T-shirt with a picture of a motorcycle on it. Chicks love it. I'm my own man, but chicks do love it. And I always, I always want to get some. And I get enough to bag it up and sell it. All right, man, see you on the cusp. How's that? Uh, it's, it's, it's not really subtle, Mike. What, what do you mean? Subtle. Do you know what subtle means? S-U-B-T-L-E. Subtle. Uh, oh, Do you know what it means? You, you, you kidding me? It means below toll. Below toll? Yeah. Man, look, it was good oh, talking geez. to you, but you better get off and look at your emails. You're going to have a fuckload of advertisers begging you to get me to use their stuff. Let me know how it goes. Uh, sure, Mike. Sure. Bye. Bye, man. <laughs> Mike doesn't even want to ha- hang out with me after the game anymore. He's no, an influencer now. No, what's great is he... Uh, it's just great to see him with uh, a mission, you know? Yeah, I, I just don't see him becoming a big influencer. Uh-huh. Do you know how many followers he, he has? On what? On Instagram? No, I don't. I haven't yeah. looked at him. He's Does got he have like a lot? hundred thousand. He's got like a hundred thousand. That's impossible. No, no. Mike, Mike's got his Mike's got his finger on the pulse. I really don't. I I don't even think he could find his own pulse. <laughs> but anyway, Paula, do you do you have a vocabulary word for us today? I do, Adam. I have a vocabulary word. It's dolor. It's a noun that means a state of great sorrow or distress. Here, mm. I'll use it in a sentence. Anti-vaxxers who think they're in a doler over the idea of vaccine passports won't know the meaning of doler until they've killed their family from ignorance. Wow. It's, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pointed vocabulary word this week. I'll use it in a family setting. Okay. I made some extra fried chicken so you can take it to school for lunch tomorrow. Mom, I don't have school tomorrow. Will you look at a calendar? It's summer vacation until the end of August. Oh, then you'd better eat up the chicken. It won't keep that long. So, what'd you do today? Me and Scott went to the library. They have giant dictionaries there. We looked up words. I learned dolor. It's a noun that means a state of great sorrow or distress. Your mother and I have been very unhappy for a number of years now, and we certainly haven't needed a new word to describe it. Now just say <laughs> sad and sail that gravy boat on over here. <laughs> I, I think we're going to be using that word doler a lot. Okay. I better get into the vocabulary song. Uh, here we go. Oh, that's a good sign. Yeah. 
This week's word is dolor. It's a noun that means a state of great sorrow or distress. Lucy and Ethel stopped being friends in the episode when they bought the same dress. Last week's <laughs> word was encomium. It's a noun that means a speech or piece of writing praising someone or something. In conclusion, I would like to reiterate, no one in the entire world has ever made such a fine vegan buffalo wing. The week before that, the word was risible. It's an adjective that means causing laughter. Ridiculous. Next year, I'll be teaching calculus. Going back before that, the word was abjure. It's a verb that means swear to give up a belief or claim. Come back to earth. QAnon's pretty lame. And not long ago, we had Benjandrum. It's a noun that means a person who has or claims to have a great deal of authority or influence. Yes, Tell us more. You're so powerful, Mr. Mike Pence. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge. Who's Podge? Hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable. 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 But I do. I do. I do. I do. Mm. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Oh my heavens! That you know. Now that I'm going back out of the road, I'm gonna uh, my Glockenspiel concerts. Yeah. Are are you gonna can, be packed? You can open for yourself. You know the Glock opening for the comedy. Woo! Woo. I don't know if I could because you can't. You know, it's a lot of. I mean, I. I can't do that and anything else in a night. That really took it out of me. Whew. <laughs> well, take time to recover because we're about to take a break. Coming up, Robert E. Lee once wrote, it is well that war is so terrible. Otherwise, we should grow too fond of it. Yeah, General, well, there are a bunch of idiots outside who might quibble with that as soon as they're finished reenacting Antietam. We'll explore other possible teensy mistakes General Lee made next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Yo ba yo ba yo ba ba bo bo. What the fuck? Wow, that was so spontaneous. <laughs> hey Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress, and as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses because oh, when oh my Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress, and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress, and I sleep. So well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally, and everybody just piles on it, and it it's comfy, and yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort 
and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula, you know, every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself a whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, 
and so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so, it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kind of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Moses said, I don't know who needs to hear me read these again. <laughs> thank you house band nathan surratt so uh paula poundstone you have started gigging again have you not i have you're playing gigs and i understand i just want to bring this up that you were quite recently in richmond virginia I was visiting my son in Richmond, Virginia, but I had rented a car, driven from Blacksburg, and I got lost, as I do. And I drove around this same area twice, and I happened to notice, out of sheer boredom, a, a sign. It was a white sign with black lettering and old, all kind of rusted out, and it was describing... That I guess that patch of land or near there or something was a place where the Confederates had won a battle. It made me think to myself, like, I, I don't, I, you know, until recently I would have paid no attention whatsoever to that sign. But it just made me think, like, I should drive around with a, with a, a rubber stamp that says, and you lost. <laughs> just, just, and you lost. It's done. You lost. But, but I, yeah. I don't think it's a terrible idea. Until recently, though, you know, it would have been like when you're when you're looking at your cereal box because you're eating the cereal and you see the nutrition. You don't read it or think about it because you don't care. And that would have been my approach to it before: is that I would just have not cared. And now you care a little bit. I care a little bit. By amazing happenstance, we have an expert in that subject right here. He no. is the Chamberlain Fellow at Hamilton College, Professor Emeritus of History at West Point, and author of Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause. Please welcome and rise for Ty Sigley. 
Ty, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, Paul, Adam, for having me. What a, a joy to be here. I really thank you. Okay, true confession. I knew Ty was going to be here. Uh, and I have... I, wow, I have, uh, you pulled I, back that curtain for our listeners. Well, I had to because because I have to because I have to let the listeners know that I have listened uh, to Ty's book that he reads, by the way, very well. So for those who missed it in the introduction, it's uh, Robert E. Lee and me, and I recommend it to everyone. I grew up in Massachusetts, and I did not think about Robert E. Lee at all. And neither did anyone that I knew. And I'm 61, Ty. I don't think we're that uh, different in age. Where did you grow up and how how did you learn about Robert E. Lee? And what made you think about him? Paul, I can't remember life without Robert E. Lee. I mean, he's like this touchstone <laughs> for me. I mean, my first chapter book was Meet Robert E. Lee. He was almost in the DNA of the white South that I grew up in. And in fact, if you would have asked me, like, where does Lee rate? I would have said on a scale of one to 10, Lee would have been an 11. And even though I was a good Episcopalian, went to church every Sunday, I would have put Jesus in the four, five, six category. Oh my God. It wasn't just that I thought he was great. I was, it was reverential. He was the epitome of a white Southern Christian gentleman. And I wanted the status that came with being a, a Christian gentleman. So really, I can't remember a time without Robert E. Lee. But like, I mean, what were you taught about him? I mean, you must have been taught that he was a guy who led the rebellion against the Union. He he was the gentleman who, who, at the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg, showed people how to lose with grace. He was the marble man, the icon, the great gentleman of the Old South. They were the, they were the underdogs of romantics. And if anybody was asking me, I would have thought that, yes, it's glad they lost. I love being an American. But he was a good guy who fought for what he thought was right. One of the things I, I remember from from the book that you wrote was the description of the textbook. There has to be a reason why this story has been told uh, so factlessly for so long, so many generations later. Yeah, there's absolutely a reason. So if you think about this of uh, the South narrative and what this myth is, it's a lie, by the way. It's a couple of things that 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 Lee was the greatest soldier that ever lived, that the Civil War wasn't really about slavery, that Reconstruction was a failure, that Ulysses S. Grant was a terrible general, and the South that was like a paradise. Well, all of those things are false. But the reason that they were false and the reason that they came is so that people would think um, uh, that they would allow that a, a white political power to retain power. It was to create a white supremacist society that had lynching, um, that had uh, uh, a disenfranchisement of black people, um, that created a secondary citizens, and they all were a part of the pillars of a white supremacist society. So the reason to make Lee the great hero is for a pernicious purpose to ensure that white people retain political power. Wow. And he starts this lost cause myth by saying the only reason the South lost was because of overwhelming uh, manpower. And he says that before the smoke has cleared the battlefield. General orders number nine, April 10th, uh, 1865. But the idea of putting him at the top of that starts immediately upon his death. But because he's the only successful thing in the South. You know, Paula, you mentioned about the big L on the forehead of the Confederacy. Well, the only ones that had <laughs> any W's at all was Robert E. Lee. So this thing happened, uh, the thing being the Civil War, and then they began lying about it immediately. immediately. Is that correct? 
immediately. They Boy, have, that rings been, a bell, doesn't it? Yeah, that feels like some other insurrection. <laughs> it's the big lie. It's the biggest lie in American history for the most pernicious purpose, which is to create a uh, a white supremacist society. I mean, it's it's an evil thing. And that's why we have Confederate monuments. That's why we have uh, the Confederate flag. All of these things link back to the same thing, which is the white people who went to the South, went to war to protect and expand slavery, lost, but they were unwilling to accept the results, which is equality for all Americans. Isn't that staggering? The Robert E. Lee monument that they just took out of um, Charlottesville. Yeah. When was that put there? It was put there in 1924, and the people that, when it was done, it was surrounded by the Ku Klux Klan, and they did that to show that the Anglo-Saxon race was the best. And also, this is at the height of lynching. Lynching occurs at the same time. That's when the most, when the 5,000 mainly Black Americans are lynched between 1877 and 1950, that these Confederate monuments, like the one in Charlottesville, is meant to show the power of of, of white politicians and white people. Now that struck me because I, I I read somewhere that a lot of these um, uh, monuments happened to go up much later, like sixty years and then eighty years back in the fifties during the civil rights movement in the South. Like, is is that is that what happened? The twenties and the fifties were hotbeds for putting up Confederate monuments. You are absolutely right. Though they, the main period, there are two periods, eighteen ninety to nineteen twenty. And then again, um, uh, after World War II, and the, the ones in 1890, that's when Southern states rewrite all of their constitutions to exclude Black people from the franchise, disenfranchise them. It's when they create these penal camps. It's to create a labor system that is a two-tier society. And it's meant, think about where they are. Most of them are in front of the courthouse. So if you're a Black person in the South going into a courthouse, there's only two ways you're going to go. You're going to go as a janitor or an elevator operator, or you're going to go as a defense. Because it's a a racial police state. That's what the South of Virginia, my birth, Georgia, where I also live, these are racial police states, apartheid states. Remember, we've only been a democracy for 50 years. Only with the Civil Rights Acts does it really become a democracy. You know, I remember uh, years ago, I worked with Ken Burns somewhere, and uh, he, you know, he made a, you know, a speech, and he said within the speech that uh, I think he said there were three things that defined America. The first was the Civil War. The second was baseball. And I've forgotten what the third was. I think it was the Ken Burns feature on the <laughs> Apple, uh, on, the, on the Mac computer. It irked me so much. Uh, a, I, I just don't care that much about baseball. But B, I just thought, but there, this was so long ago. What is he talking about? That's of course not. We're so much beyond that. And then, you know, in the course of this last year and a half, all of a sudden things that were, it was, it's, you know what it's been like? It's been like I'm staring at one of those hidden picture things in Highlights <laughs> magazine. I can see like the fish in the guy's forearm. Like, oh, there's a, you know, there's a comb on his shoe. Uh, I, I see it now. I'm not going to say that I entirely understand it or that suddenly I've become a historian, but I just like, wow, I never paid any attention. Ty, how did you start realizing that what you'd been taught about General Lee and everything else was wrong? Like, when did this happen for you and how? Yeah, way too late. Was it in the dentist's office? That's where you're looking? (laughs) Was it the Highlights magazine? (laughs) A couple things happened. One, I'm a soldier. And the idea of that oath uh, really, really struck me. And so I became more of a soldier and not a Virginia gentleman. That was the first thing. The second thing is that I married someone who is incapable of lying. 
I grew up only lying. I mean, my entire life was built on a lie. So <laughs> trying to be, stay married to her, which I have 30 years, um, meant that I had to change. And the third thing was the history changed me. The facts changed me. And I was at West Point, And as I'm going by the barracks named after Eisenhower and Pershing and Grant, I stopped by Lee Barracks. I see a sign there and we'll go, what in the world? Why is there a barracks named after Lee? So I go, I go running around. There's 15 things named after Lee at West Point. When did that happen? I went into the archives and the archives are what changed because what I found was that was that in the 19th wow. century, West Point banished Confederates as traitors. Uh-huh. They they were traitors. And so everything around West Point, including the motto, duty, honor, country, was anti-Confederate. And so I go, wow, okay. So if this is all anti-Confederate, so when did all this stuff come that but about Lee? It came in the 30s, 1930s, 1950s, and 1970s. Why? As a reaction to integration. And that teed me off. It ticked me off so much that that's when I started. I had to not only um, research it, I had to write about it. I had to tell everybody that would listen. Wow. And that's the other part about this is, you know, remember that it's the U.S. Army that defeated the Confederates, not some Union Army that's lost to history. It's the United States Army fighting for the United States of America that kicked the insurrectionist ass. And yet. They ended up putting up monuments to them in their school. Monuments to them at West Point, uh, monuments to them uh, throughout the Army. And it just shows you how this lost cause myth not only um, went beyond Virginia, but took over the entire country. They often say that the winners write the history. Well, not in the case of American history about the Civil War. (laughs) It was the Southerners that won the fight because there are these women called the United Daughters of the Confederacy that that go and burn books. They write it. They they create, which is still extant today, the children of the Confederacy. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, Thomas Stanley Holland said— Civil War was such a whirlwind, and I didn't really know what was going on. I was thrown into the deep end. Of course, he was talking about the Marvel movie in which he played Spider-Man. But we'll discuss more fallout from the other whirlwind of a civil war when we come back. The Cat of the Week is Lolo from Reseda, California. And we're back with Ty Sigley. Paula. You mentioned taking the oath. And lately now, when I watch the Congress, um, you know, that word comes up. You know, so somebody will say, well, I took the same oath they did. And uh, what, is the, what does the oath mean? Yeah, it's a great question. So I took that oath for the first time in Lee Chapel surrounded by Confederate flags. And you'll you'll understand why that's so crazy when I tell you what the oath is. So that's sort of the teaser there. The rest of the story is, is that the oath was written in 1862 when it says, uh, I will support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. It was written against Confederates. They were afraid of Confederates getting into the into the House of Representatives. So that the oath that every single person in the federal government, including all, all congressmen, all senators, all civilians, all military that are in the federal government, take an 1862 anti-Confederate oath to the government. And when I realized that, I was like, that was another epiphany for me. That's the most important. It was the most important thing in my life, really, is the oath to the Constitution to support, defend my the country I love, the country I've I've defended for two thirds of my life, and the idea that 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 Confederates um, were the ones that that prompted that. Oh my gosh! And 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 everyone that's in the Senate 
Everyone that's in the Congress take that anti-Confederate oath. And is there, if someone breaks their oath, is there a comeuppance? Yes, Article 3, Section 3 of the United States Constitution that we that we believe in uh, says that treason shall only consist in levying war against the United States. So treason is the only crime in the Constitution. And it's, and it's very narrow. But did they levy war against the, against the Constitution? Did Robert E. Lee? Yes, he was a traitor. He committed treason. And the people that, that don't support that oath, that treason is a very narrow definition. But if you're levying war against the U.S., there needs to be um, accountability, uh, justice for that. But when you said there needs to be accountability, I just heard Mo Brooks's speech that he made at the Ellipse the other day. And I hadn't heard it before. I mean, if that wasn't a call to arms, I don't know what is. Is anything going to happen to that guy? Uh, you know, it's a political process. I will say that when I saw that crowd marching on the uh, on the Capitol, I was ready to put my uniform back on um, because they brought the flag of treason into the people's house. And you know what it reminded me of, Paula and Adam? It reminded me of, of, of an old-fashioned lynch mob. They had a gallows there. They yeah, were calling they out, right? Remember, they were calling out for AOC. They were calling Nancy Pelosi. They were calling for Mike Pence. If they had found them, they would have lynched them. That's what it looked like, and it was and it was basically done uh, by the president is the one that incited them to that. And this isn't just Ty saying that. That's what Mitch McConnell said right afterwards. Yeah. So it's not as though that. I mean it, that that is a it's, a. it's just a clear statement. And um, you well, know, we're I, rewriting that history right now, aren't we? How soon before the monuments to uh, the brave insurrectionists of of uh, January sixth go up? We need people to talk about this openly. It's the same thing about the, the Civil War. It's the same thing about the Jim Crow era. We're not going to get beyond this unless we unless we do the facts, unless we have accountability, whether historically or today, about what's happening. Didn't Lee, he was already in the Army, right? Uh, he was in the military before he became a Confederate. Am I correct? Absolutely right. More than 30 years. Okay. So hadn't he already taken an oath to... Do you, when you're in the army, when you're in the military, you take an oath to protect and defend. Did they do that back then? Did they take said oaths? They did. It was a different oath, but it was still an oath to the United States and to obey the uh, the orders of the president over him. And he took that. In fact, Paul, he took that three weeks before he chose treason. He was promoted to colonel in um, or March or April of 1861, and then quickly, within three weeks, resigned his commission. And by the way, he didn't even allow the resignation to go paperwork to go through completely. It only took three days. But as soon as he sent it in, he went to Virginia to uh, um, to, to to lead this insurrection uh, with the state of Virginia. So, yeah, he didn't even allow it. So he was, to me, absolutely a traitor, uh, absolutely guilty of treason. And if even though he wasn't convicted for political reasons during after the war, he was indicted but never convicted. The, as a historian, I feel very comfortable saying if he didn't wait, levy war against the United States, nobody has ever done it. And did he, did what position did he take immediately in the Confederate Army? Well, immediately he signed he signed on with the Virginia militia or the Virginia Army, and then within a couple of weeks, that became or a couple of months, that became the Confederate Army, and he became a Confederate nationalist really almost overnight. Um, and uh, so that's what he ended up doing. And then eventually, by 1862, he takes command of the Army of Northern Virginia. Do you think it was in part a career move? <laughs> well, I think he, and I argue, that he uh, he chose treason to preserve and expand slavery. 
He was the largest holder of enslaved people. He had spent two oh. years at Arlington running an enslaved labor farm, but he ran those enslaved labor farms for two years, um, even though he was getting paid by the United States Army. So I think he saw himself as a planner, as someone who believed firmly in the social system of slavery and would rather have chosen that than to stay with the United States of America. Well, was he a good general? Well, you know, in 1862 and 1863, he won a series of remarkable victories. So, yes, he was a good general. But what I'd like to focus on is that when he went north into uh, uh, Gettysburg, he brought an enslaved labor um, with him. So he brought 10,000 enslaved uh, people with him. And then when his army was in Gettysburg, um, coming back, they captured, they kidnapped free black people to bring back to Virginia for sale. And then at the Battle of the Crater, his forces slaughtered black prisoners of war rather than take them as POWs. In fact, the reason so many POWs, prisoners of war, died during the Civil War is that Lee and the Confederates refused to accept that black soldiers, the United States colored troops, were actually soldiers and deserved the laws of war. Instead, they would rather kill them on the battlefield. Now, Ty, what do you say to people who hear you throwing around the word treason when it comes to Robert E. Lee, for instance. What do you say to people who say you're rewriting the history? Yeah, well, first I say it's not just treason, it's treason for slavery. That's my bumper sticker. Lee committed treason, chose treason to preserve slavery. But the thing about changing history is, there are two two things, Adam. The first is, which point of history do you say we're never gonna change from? Is it 1915 when we were so racist? Is it before, is that when history should never change and we should never relook at things? Is it 1953 before Brown versus the Board of Education? So history's always changing because we look at the past with new evidence and with new questions. So that's the first, history's always changing, always has. The second point about that is, it's also about our commemoration. Who do we commemorate? Not about the history, but who do we commemorate? And that is about our values. And our values, to me anyway, isn't to honor someone who chose treason to preserve slavery. Are monuments important, do you think, at all? I mean, if you go through, you know, Statuary Hall, for example, at the Capitol, three quarters of those people, I I wouldn't know Mm -hmm. if I tripped over Mm -hmm. them. Does it matter? Totally matters. It absolutely matters because it, it remember our, our who we commemorate represents our values as a society. And if it doesn't represent your values, then change it. So the fact that Alexander Stevens, the vice president of the Confederacy, is there for Georgia, and Stevens is the one that said that our our cornerstone rests, our society will be built on on human enslavement. That's what he said they were going to war. He was the vice president of the Confederacy and Georgia still has his statue in Statuary Hall. So yes, we should should take those out because every time somebody goes by one of those things, you say that's the values of the United States of America. And it shouldn't be. Our diversity as Americans is our greatest strength. So listen, I love my country. But you know, as James Baldwin said, I love America more than any other country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. Didn't they take a vote, uh, Ty? Didn't they just take a vote about getting rid of the Confederate statues in the Capitol? The House has passed it. So we'll have to see what the Senate does. The Senate has not uh, taken it up yet. Uh, How how accurate was Glory? Oh, Glory is one of my favorite Civil War movies. So, I mean, it it was probably the most accurate Civil War movie around. And yeah, you can go and say, oh, there's a couple things that aren't. The most important thing, though, is it it showed Black troops for the first time 
fighting for their country, fighting for their own freedom. And, you know, um, I think it was Gore Vidal that said the person that screens the history makes the history. And before that, we had this claptrap, this terrible movies like Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind. We had all these racist movies. For the first time, we start to put um, the black experience central to the Civil War, which it totally is. So, yeah, you can make a little few comments around the edges that glory doesn't work. But I show it in my class and I love it. Well, speaking of our class, um, Ty Sidgley, that was excellent, but we're going to take all the information that you have imparted to us right here, and we're going to run it through the old Pounce-tonator. Paula? <laughs> House band Nathan Surratt, thank you so much for bringing just the right notes to this very special episode, and I would like also to compliment that embouchure. If I could get a little background trumpet, I'll tell you what the old Pounce-tonator spit out. Ty Sigley, what an honor to have you with us. Among other things, you are a very brave educator. Some American voices have called out for us to put January 6th behind us. Many began this call on January 7th. One of the lessons of the Civil War is that no matter how deeply we bury it, every truth rests in a shallow grave. If we can't work towards a more perfect union under the most basic truth that all people are created equal, we're simply doomed. I want to sit on the knee of the Colin Kaepernick commemorative statue in San Jose, write letters to Congress with big, beautiful Sally Ride stamps in the right-hand corner of the envelopes, Spend a day studying in the Reverend James Lawson Library in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, and sit on the Diane Nash bench while I do it. I want to look up at the Bree Newsom Bass commemorative flagpole in Columbia, South Carolina. I want to walk across the John Lewis Bridge in Selma, Alabama, wearing a notorious RBG shirt. If we can't, I live in fear that instead we'll be forced to hear about the ascent of the talented football team from Ashley Babbitt High School, meet up with friends <laughs> at the Kyle Rittenhouse Square, see a sold-out concert at the Jim Jordan Center. <laughs> Our taxes will go to build the Lauren Boebert Museum. It'll be over near Fort Marge. And every red-blooded American child will dream of someday being invited to the White White House to receive the Karen Medal of Freedom. <laughs> He's a historian and author of Robert E. Lee and Me. Thank you so much. Ty Sigley, everybody. Yay! Oh, thank yeah. you, Adam. Thank you, Paul. You had a great wonderful time. man. I've listened to your book, but I haven't read it with the pages where you turn them and look at it with your eyes. I'm going to because I want your story seared into my brain it's uh it's beautifully told and uh one of the things that i love about you and your story is the idea that you can say i was you know i was wrong my my impressions were mistaken and i discovered that uh by by looking into it by research and finding and finding facts and uh i wish that um Everyone else would jump on board. And thank you so much for being with us. It was delightful. Oh, Adam, Paul, thank you. I had a wonderful time talking. What a great experience. Thank you. Coming up, the petty triumphs and crushing defeats of our youth are best left resting in the past. But we're going to dig them up anyway. It's True Confessions, Childhood Edition, when we come back. 
Fun fact, some blood vessels in a blue whale are actually big enough for humans to swim through, but don't. It makes them very uncomfortable. <laughs> And we're back. Oh, Paula Poundstone, this is, these are exciting times here on the podcast, and it's because of our smash hit new exploration area of true confessions. Oh, yes. People have been confessing stuff, and you had an idea, which was um, in very recent weeks we had this new spelling bee champion, right? Her name was uh, Avant-Garde. Zayla Avant-Garde, was it? I can't, I can't remember her first name. That sounds right. Okay, and 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 she uh, she just not only did she win the Scripps National Spelling Bee after only two years as a uh, as a speller, but um, also she has a couple of, of world records for juggling and basketball stuff, and she wants to be in the WNBA. And it got you thinking, did it not? It did, Adam. It got me thinking about my own, you know, my own triumphs as a child, my own dreams. It's a child. Here's one. Okay, go ahead. Because I, I just want to say that what? this all fa falls under the rubric of True Confessions, Childhood Edition. Oh. Well, I didn't realize you were calling it True Confessions. Because well, yeah. <laughs> okay. I was going to do a theme song for it, but I guess I could add True Confessions. Well, if it okay. works with your carefully crafted... Um, Song crafting, Bonnie. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's not that carefully crafted. I thought no. of it on my way upstairs. No, <laughs> no Bonnie. <laughs> to the taking. Sing, sing us a song, yo, the theme song woman. Okay, so what's it called? Two Confessions. What's the rest of it? Childhood Edition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> True Confessions. Childhood Edition. Wait, I'm not done yet. Okay. True Confessions, Childhood Edition. Oh, my face is red. I can't breathe anymore. I'm having an anxiety attack, and I want to sink through the floor. Wow. And that's, and that's the end. Huh. Huh. Um, can, can I just say... I, yeah. I, and I, it's not like me to bring this up. <laughs> but this doesn't check either the true confessions box, the song box, or the childhood edition box. Uh, I would say it doesn't really, it doesn't really check the 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 music box or the uh, consistently rhyming lyrics box. Wait! Oh, my face is red. I can't breathe anymore. I'm having an anxiety attack, and I want to sink through the floor. Yes, there was you, a rhyme in there. You had a fail. You had a a failure. You're embarrassed. Um, I think it fits. It checks the Ferlinghetti box. <laughs> There's something very beat poet about it. Do you want to snap your fingers a little bit at, uh, at the? It's a very yeah. Beat I, poet. I feel that. I definitely feel that. That was deep, Bonnie. Okay. Thanks for taking us down that hole. Um, all right. So, Paula, why don't you kick us off? Tell us something from your childhood. Confess. All right. So. Um, Coming off of what I considered to be a highly successful uh, Ephraim Curtis musical performance, uh, we did a you know a play. Um, uh, the next town over 
was having auditions for a community theater production. And so I was, you know, I was heady with my own talent. And I thought, well, you know, and they were doing Fiddler on the Roof. So it made sense to me that since it would be all adults cast that I could play one of the, you know, one of the kids. And uh, so I looked into it. You know, you had to read some lines, but also for the audition, you had to sing a song. And I thought, well, you know, everybody's going to sing a song from Fiddler on the Roof. I'll do another song. Just blow their socks off with my musical ability. So I prepared, anyways, Leaving on a Jet Plane uh, by Peter, Paul, and Mary. I played that song over and over and over again on the, I wrote the words down, and I can't read music, so I didn't require that, but I I practice and practice, and I want you to know this as well. Uh, I used hand gestures. Oh, wow. Um, including, I think, plane wings, I believe. And when I went into the audition, there's a woman sitting at a piano. <laughs> and they say to me, uh, you know, okay, you, you know, you're auditioning for such and such a part. I say, yes. And I probably read, and it, it wasn't a big part. It was like, oh, could we? That was probably the line. Could we? And that was, uh, you know. And so I read my, oh, lovely. And then they go, okay, now you're going to, you know, sing a song. I, yes, I am. Uh, and uh, you know what song are you gonna sing? I go, yeah. And of course, she's got the book for of the music of Fiddler on the Roof right on her <laughs> piano. What song are you gonna sing? I go, you know, leaving on a jet plane from the Peter Paul and Mary. The lady goes, well, do you have the music? And I'm like, no, no. Don't you know how to play it? <laughs> oh. I don't know. I just imagined that every. Piano player just knew how to play everything. Like, what do you need the music for, you cheating wench? Uh, so, uh, and and they said, well, you'll have to, you know, could you do a song from Fiddler on the Roof? And I'm like, oh, I hadn't, you know, I didn't tell them this, but I hadn't really practiced the Fiddler on the Roof music. <laughs> so, uh, oh, my God, I did Matchmaker. I had to restart it like four times. Uh, did you, you know, get the part? Yeah, I, uh, uh. Could we? No. <laughs> no. But you know what they said? They This is how they got back to me. They didn't say just that I didn't get the part, which was clearly the case. Instead, they said they were only going to cast adults. <laughs> and I want to say, really? What the fuck? What adult is going to run out on stage with other adults and pretend to be like a five-year-old and say like, could we? That's bullshit. Leaving on a jet plane. You can't see me right now, but I am uh, doing airplane wings. Wow. Um, that's, gr- that's a great story. Don't know if I'll be back again. Oh, my gosh. And, and I would hang my head and, and look like I didn't know if I would be back again. Oh. <laughs> and you weren't. I can remember my mother upstairs in her room yelling at me like, um, because I played that same song over and over again, uh, you know, on on the record player, and I just, you know, so I had to, you know, then I had to like lower it. Leaving on, on jet a jet plane. plane. Don't, Don't know. know if I'll be back. You're not doing that song, are you? No. <laughs> Better take that record off. And yeah, I will. And that's all the time we have on True Confessions Childhood <laughs> Edition. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, babe, don't let me go. All right, I have a really quick story, and it's one of triumph. Uh, Paula, this is going to shock you, but I wasn't a very athletic kid. No. Yes, it's true, and, but... At the age of nine, I was at Pierce Day Camp, and the, the thing that was always the worst for me, even though I liked the sport of baseball, was when we had to play the sport of baseball. Because playing oh, it was, that gets was, in the way. It wasn't my forte. As a fan, no. I was great. Um, and I remember that I was put in the outfield, center field, though, so I'm guessing there was a kid that was even worse than me in right field. Um, and... There was this kid on the other team who, like, whenever, like, a couple times, you know, the ball went right past me because that's what balls did. Um, and I would look at my glove, and sometimes he'd say something snarky. It was Greg was his name. Greg Werner, I think. He'd say, what are you looking uh. at your glove for? It's not in there. <laughs> oh, Ooh. Jesus. Oh. And so, yeah. and so on, on this afternoon where he said that twice— he was up, and I was in center field, and he hit what looked like a little pop-up to, like, second base. So I just started running in, like, oh, finally, the inning's over, and I can go sit on the bench again. Because I was getting tired standing out there in center field doing nothing. Sure. And as I was running in, I noticed that I totally misjudged the ball. It was a line drive, and it was going over my head as I was uh -oh. running in to sit down. And so <laughs> I just, on instinct, reached up and kind of skipped and the ball just like went flap right into my glove and I caught it. And my team oh, went nice. My team went nuts. And there was Greg Werner standing there, you know, yelling at the, our counselors and the one who was playing the umpire. That was an accident. He didn't even mean to catch it. That was an accident. As though as though the counselor is going to go like, well, if it was accidental, then you get your base hit. <laughs> Which is not what happened. And I, so I ran in the temporary hero of a game that I'm sure we lost something like 170 to nothing. But that was a good moment. That was a triumph. Oh, my gosh. That's, that is a beautiful story. I'll never forget Greg, though. It was like the one, the one sighted man in the Valley of the Blind going like, he didn't mean it. <laughs> he accidentally <laughs> caught the ball. It didn't count. Um, <laughs> all right. So there's my tale. Uh, Bonnie Burns in the Simi Valley. Hold on just a minute. Uh, hold on just a minute. Um, Kyle, do we have Greg on the line? Can you just, can you... <laughs> Don't can do it. You, can you put Greg, uh, Adam, uh, this is a surprise that we have planned out for you. Uh, Hi, this is Greg. My life took yeah. a downward turn that day and it never came back up. Yeah, the injustice my team didn't of the, speak to me. <laughs> the injustice of the world. The scales were peeled from my eyes. I've been trying to get back at you for 40 years. <laughs> 40 years of waiting just to say this. Fuck you, Adam Felber. And your accidental catch. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, Bonnie Burns up in the Simi Valley. Uh, give us a true confession from your childhood. Okay. So when I was, I don't know, like, 15 or something, whatever the, they used to have these hair pieces that you'd like, you'd put up like kind of a bun or something, the chignon, I think they called it. And so I was in the bathroom getting ready to go out and kind of wrapping it on my head and a piece of the hair fell onto the toilet seat. And it was one of those laminated toilet seats and my mom had matches in the bathroom. So like, you know, somebody could light the match if they smelled up the bathroom. And I was just standing there and I thought, 
What would happen if I used this match to burn that hair off the toilet seat? This story so turned so it. bad so fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mo- moments ago, we were, we were in a nice world of Shinyan, and now we've got hair on a Shinyan, laminated yeah. toilet seat. All right. Right. This so isn't getting I better. That, I put that match down <laughs> to the hair, and it... it uh, Set the toilet seat on fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can I interject right now and say, I'm guessing this doesn't turn out to be a, a, a tale of childhood triumph. Oh, no. I think it is. No. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell the part about dragging your parents from their bed <laughs> out to the front lawn where you stood and watched <laughs> the, the, the building burn. <laughs> what do you, I don't know what you mean by laminated toilet seat. Well, whatever they have, like that plastic, marble-looking kind of covers. Back in the day, Paula, there were there were toilet seats that had like that kind of like shiny vinyl sheen to it. Yeah. Are you talking about the toilet lid or the seat? No, like if the lid was up and then the seat, and you know the hair was kind of long because it was in that fake chignon. It was a seat. Hmm. Yeah, I got that. I, well, I don't know why I'm suddenly the Bonnie whisperer here, but that story made perfect sense to me. Except <laughs> she stopped around the time the toilet caught fire. Yeah. I see. I, can't, I got I the can't. look from my father. Bonnie! Bonnie! <laughs> dad, dad! You know, um, if my dad my was back. really mad, all you got was the look. Oh. Yeah, well, and, and you yeah. know what? Managing to burn the family toilet seat is definitely a getting the look offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because then every time you sit down on it, you know it's, the scratchy it's part is on exactly. your leg. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. Well, thank you, Bonnie Burns, for uh, that that true confession from childhood. All right. So now that we've heard from all of us here at uh, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone Central, let's bring our own Tyler Burke up to the mic to, to give us just a smattering of what our listeners have offered for True Confessions Childhood Edition. Tyler, are you there? Yes, I'm here. And we got some great responses. Excellent. This first one comes from Matthew Grace Teeman. Matthew writes, my biggest success was being a National Merit Scholar and getting a full ride to college. My biggest failure was that time I thought it would be fun to run down the largest dune at Sleeping Bear Dunes, then realize that gravity would make my legs just go faster and faster until my body hurtled in the air and I landed face first in the sand at some ungodly speed. Sadly, no pictures were taken. Oh, I I was hoping that it was going to be in the yearbook. Me too. (laughs) Yes. I I would hope that it would be his picture in the yearbook so you'd see Matthew Grace Teeman. And then underneath, National Merit Scholar. And then the picture, <laughs> then the picture, just these two feet protruding from a dune. Yeah. Yeah. Like in that Spider-Man movie, the Sandman guy. Yeah. You saw that? Yeah, I did. I like wow. the um, Toby Maguire uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, I do. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Matthew. That, Matthew that Grace Seaman, thank you. That was, a, uh, that was a span of high and low. All right, so Tyler, uh, bring us another. Yeah, so this next one comes from Dan Zielinski. Dan writes, when I was in eighth grade, I competed in my school's first ever science fair. My project was figuring out which brand of toilet paper broke down fastest. 
There I was with eight mason jars filled with water and different brands of toilet paper. I saw what all the other kids did their projects on and thought mine was so lame. Well, I thought wrong. I won first prize. I still have the ribbon hanging on my wall 15 years later. Wow. You know what? Uh, that's an important lesson, Dan. <laughs> I, I mean, think about in the midst of the pandemic, what did people hoard? Toilet paper. Right? Toilet paper. <laughs> it was the first thing I thought of when I understood that, you know, people were going to be, you know, have to stay at home for a long time. I Right away, my brain said, you know what? They're, the toilet paper is going to. So um, it didn't occur to me to get like a special kind, Dan. But first prize, you know, it's too bad that Dan didn't say which brand was effective. I mean, he yeah. kind of left us hanging. Uh, well, that was 15 no... years ago. I feel like toilet paper's probably changed since then. We couldn't use that, that what he had in the mason jar anyways. It's it's thoroughly destroyed by now. No, I, I do get that. I was I was suggesting that the, the formula behind Charmin and White Cloud and whatever, those have probably changed as well in the last 15 years. In 15 years? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, you don't feel like toilet paper evolves over time? Maybe not. Maybe 15 years. No, they're just, they're just putting it out there. I don't think they're messing with formula. There's oh, probably. I, I think the R and D people over at Charmin are working around the clock every day. No, there's probably somebody over in R and D that's like, "Would you stop that? Get on the, get on the production line." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't have time for the R and D. Right, you wipe your butt with it. Get over there in production, R and D. I'll R and D you. Here at Charmin Labs, we're working around the clock for a nicer wiping experience. All right, Tyler, step on up. R&D <laughs> my ass. Wait till you see. Like sometime in the next year, the the, the White Cloud people are going to break the sound barrier with a roll of toilet paper, and I'll be laughing, Paula. <laughs> yeah. No, you know who's going to do it is Branson. Yeah, Richard Branson. You know, that's where the, that's the next horizon is that <laughs> Branson and who's the uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, the, and e Elon Musk. Yeah. Musk is going to have solar-powered toilet paper. Hey, uh, Tyler, why don't you come on in with uh, with one more from our listeners of True Confessions, Childhood Edition. Great. This last one comes from Matthew Paolucci Callahan, and Matthew writes, Catholic school. I used to sneak communion hosts into my pocket at church and save them until I had enough to put them in a bowl and dip in Smucker's jam. I was found out and was mandated <laughs> to go to confession where I had to explain my indiscretions to the pastor. Wow. Wow. Apparently, Matthew was not really picking up the substance of the <laughs> sermons. I don't know. I mean, look, <laughs> I get that the transubstantiated body of Christ is a good thing to eat, but is it not necessarily a good thing to eat with jam? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're missing the the bigger part of the story. He what? was stealing. <laughs> he was stealing. Yeah, but Jesus said, this is my body. Eat of it with jam, didn't he? Or something like that? <laughs> yeah, he's a, this is my body. Shove it in your pocket <laughs> as much as you can. I, isn't there a thou shalt not steal? Isn't there that in there somewhere? In one yes. of the yeah, there is. Yeah. There is There is one of yeah. those. But there's also, this, this night, one of you will betray me and another will dippest me in jam. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, deepest. Yes. yes. Oh, what was I thinking? Of course. There's <laughs> something about di- dippesting and smuckers in particular. <laughs> and Jesus did command the smuckers. Smucker did travel through the desert. Um, okay, well, thank you for that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is True Confessions Childhood Edition. Yay! Oh, my face is red. I cannot breathe anymore. I'm having an anxiety attack, and I want to sink through the floor. Yeah, man. (laughs) Bonnie, that was, uh, that was some, you were really throwing down there in the deaf poetry jam style. That was great. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Hey, uh, nobodies, if you have any questions or comments or you just want to request a little more beat poetry from Bonnie Burns, send that request to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And Paula Poundstone, what's going on in the Poundstone product empire this week? Adam, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, is all about customer service. That's how we keep customers coming back and coming back satisfied. We're closed. Listeners can order a catnip-filled four-and-a-half by five-inch handmade pillow with a grommet on top to tie a string for dragging for your cat. There's a cat joke on one side, and on the other side, I can sign it to your cat. Go to the store at my website, paulapoundstone.com. Plus, your plants could be the first on your block to receive a healthy boost of worm poop from the world's funniest farm. I only have about two gallons of worm poop from worms bedded in newspaper scraps who've eaten nothing but fruits, vegetables, and a little bit of bad news. I'll sell it to you for $35 plus shipping. Write to me at Paula at PaulaPoundstone.com. We'll work it out. On Thursday, September 30th, I'll be in Austin, Texas, helping keep it weird at the Paramount Theater. See you there, then. Well, there's a lot more, but Heidi. Heidi. Heidi, a word if I may. <laughs> I just want to remind everybody that the that so far the pre-sales are through the roof. I, I, we want to keep building on top of that roof for my new book, Confessions of a Puppet Master, written with Charles Band, the celebrated B-movie director. And uh, just to give you some tidbits, when he first uh, got on the phone with me and said, well, 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 my dad discovered Marilyn Monroe because he was assistant director in Asphalt Jungle, so she was my first babysitter. And then I accidentally bought uh, Dino De Laurentiis' movie studio in Rome for no money down, and I accidentally ended up owning the biggest castle in Italy between Rome and Florence for 30 years. I thought, (laughs) I'm talking to a compulsive liar. And it's very entertaining, though. It turns out it's all true, and it's all wow. in Confessions of a Puppet Master. Um, you got to see that picture of Charlie's parents with Uncle, with Aunt Marilyn and Uncle Joe DiMaggio. It's right there in the book. It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> wow. amazing. Subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. And while you're enjoying it, maybe go to Apple Podcasts and drop a review on us. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to know about, tell us. At nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And that is our show. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam Le Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Ty Sigily. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Special thanks to house band Nathan Surratt. Check out his music Yay! on Nathan S E R O T. 
www.bandcamp.com. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone. Yay! Adam Felber, Bonnie yay. Burns, yay. Ken Lezebnik, Tony Nidaho, and Tyler yay, Burke. Yay, yay. Intern is Carly Patrone. Starburns yay. production by Land Romo and Kyle McGraw. Yay. Yay. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? You smell that? That's burning hair on a vinyl toilet seat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'd know that smell anywhere. Uh, Are there people in the house? I don't know. Let's just save ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why anybody would burn a toilet seat like that. Well, if someone was wearing one of them fancy Japanese-like hair extension kind of things and happened to <laughs> drop it on a toilet seat, I reckon it could then burn yeah. if you try if you lit a match to, to, you know, to cover the smell of your own poop. You can tell all that from these ashes? Just from what I smell in my own natural-born nose right now. Somebody had a shogun or something, and then they tried to burn it on a vinyl toilet seat, and all hell broke loose. I can tell you that's sure as I'm standing here. Yeah, I'll tell you something. That's what comes of hair dishonesty. (laughs) (laughs) Starbanks Avenue, a a podcast network. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.